Good morning. Happy Sunday, everybody. A couple things before I start with my message. Just want to mention some great opportunities for you to be involved in some great ministry. A few weeks ago, we launched something here at Cornerstone called Kingdom Assignment, and we have over 100 people, including kids, uh, getting very, very creative and asking God how he can multiply a gift that was given to them that they can give out to other people in the community. And there are some ways that you can join in with those people doing Kingdom Assignment. So right now, we have a really neat art exhibit out in the lobby that's a Kingdom Assignment project. You can go check it out. And... Um, Purchase some of that art. It's all going to be given away. It's part of the multiplying principle um, that we're doing with Kingdom Assignment. We have a cool event for kids who are victims of the Marshall Fire taking place this weekend. Many of you have already contributed toys and gifts, but there's going to be a party here Saturday night you can be a part of. And then separate from Kingdom Assignment, uh, some of you know that uh, we have relocated our first Afghan refugee family earlier, this, earlier last month, and uh, they're doing really great work with that family. I can tell you this, our volunteers are working really hard. It's really intense for the first two months, and they're needing some help. So here's the specific request. If any of you have any experience teaching ESL, and it doesn't have to be to someone from Afghanistan, but just any experience teaching ESL, you are the most qualified person in our church right now, and we need your help, all right? So we need a few volunteers, and you can just reach out to us, and we'll make a connection to, to that ministry team, and uh, we would really appreciate your help, uh, especially right now. All right, a um, few uh, Christmases ago, Elise and I bought a really special gift for our second oldest son named Wyatt. In fact, it's my favorite gift ever given to one of our boys, it's a 1946 Jackie Robinson replica jersey from the Brooklyn Dodgers. I mean, it just, it's awesome. And it looks awesome. And uh, Wyatt proudly wears it all the time. But I love it personally because Jackie Robinson is one of my very favorite athletes in history. But not just that, and even more than that, Jackie Robinson is one of my favorite Christians in history. A lot of people don't know that. He was an amazing man. Uh, most of us are aware of his accomplishments. And this, this month, every year, we celebrate people like Jackie who overcome, overcame just racism and different things that took place in their life and that have happened in this country in a unique hardship. But what we appreciate about him is that he had this meekness to him, which is strength under control that allowed him to show up to the baseball field, the baseball park, day after day in different city after city, and to hear the same horrible things day after day. And he did it for years and never lashed out. We know what would have happened if he would have lashed out and it would have been justified, right? We would understand from our perspective in history, but if something like that would have happened, not only would his career perhaps have ended, but he would have stopped all movement for other black athletes who are entering uh, into professional sports. He's amazing. His meekness was amazing. So we esteem him for that. But what a lot of people don't know is that Jackie wasn't always that way. I love to tell a story because there's always more to the person than just what we see in public. He grew up and had a tough life. His dad left uh, his, his mother and their family right after Jackie was born. So he basically grew up in a, a single mother, with a single mother. Uh, their family made a, a move to an area where they didn't have a lot of friends and connections. And Jackie just experienced what many black young men would experience in the 1940s and 30s. He experienced racism. There was a cross burned in his yard. He was beat up. He was passed over from certain opportunities. He was falsely accused. On three different occasions in his life, before baseball, before professional baseball, I should say, he was arrested. 
And most of this was because he was becoming a very angry young man. Understandably, right? Why all these things were taking place and he was beginning to take on this coping mechanism of being angry and aggressive. And his mom would often talk to him about his temper and how someday it would get him in trouble. The third arrest actually happened while he was in the military and he physically struck some officers and was removed from the military. It was about that time that his mother said, you need to go talk to the pastor. And for some reason, that moment, Jackie and his pastor was meaningful because the pastor talked to him about a different way to move through life, specifically a different way to deal with the wounding that you were experiencing. What he helped Jackie understand is that if you don't heal from your wounds, if we don't allow God to bring transformation to those places where we've been hurt, what happens is pain continues. And we might become the cause of pain for other people because we've not dealt with our own pain. So as brave as he was standing on the baseball field and day after day and year after year, I esteem him more for being a young man who faced the darkness inside his heart and said, I'm gonna find a different way. Isn't that amazing? By the way, that's the story behind most great people that do amazing things. They have stories of overcoming their wounding and their trauma. Now, I tell you that not just because I'm grateful for, for the payoff that that had in our lives because one man faced his shadow and faced the difficult things in his life, but I want you to hear this today. If we don't learn to deal with the darkness inside of us, and specifically for today, heal from our wounds and trauma, there is a cost to not healing from those things. And so today, as a staff and as a pastor, I just want to provide some pastoral care, and I know our entire staff cares about this. We've been through two years where it's been difficult, and um, we had just another tragedy occur in our community just a couple months ago. We're all aware of it. We shifted our entire schedule for this spring and the series we were going to teach, and we thought, let's do another one. And let's call it a very present help in times of trouble and help people, remind people and help connect people to the idea that God is present in our life and helps us with all the difficult things. Not only that, but God wants to use his body, his church, to be a very present help in times of trouble for other people. And so today I wanna just give you permission to think about how you're doing. We'll have a similar theme next week as we talk about how to stay healthy but I want, to give you, I want you to have permission to just think about how you're doing, how the effects of the last two years um, are showing up in your life or how you have been affected, the areas that you've experienced some trauma and wounding. I don't want you to justify away your own losses because they're not as bad as other people's. That's a very common thing right now, right? There are a lot of people that are out of their homes and they're dealing with things but they feel, almost apologize for talking about their own struggle because they didn't lose their home. We all have different degrees of trauma that we need to deal with. And if we don't, those things usually end up dealing with us. And so first of all, I wanna give you permission to think about it today. But second of all, we're meant to be that help for other people. So understanding how trauma and wounding works and specifically, more importantly, how Jesus helps makes you a very present help in times of trouble for other people. And by the way, if you're a leader... If you're responsible for anyone, including parents, right? You're responsible for your kids. You will actually provide better care for the people under you if you understand how healing and wounding works, but you will also ironically become much more effective and attractive to the people around you because you will help them find life during dark times. 
All right, so I wanna start today by reading a quote. And this quote comes from Richard Rohr. And I'll just say this about Richard Rohr, like many people that we quote here at Cornerstone, we don't love everything that he says, all right? But we're an open enough church this way that we can, we can quote people that we don't affirm everything that they say. By the way, besides Jesus, and actually even Jesus, I don't agree with everything Jesus says. That's why he's working things out in me. How could we ever find someone we agree with everything they've ever done or ever said, right? All right, so that's all I'll say about Richard Rohr, but this is a great quote. That's how you feel about me right now, isn't it? Yeah, I'm glad you can still listen. When life is hard, we are primed to learn something absolutely central. I call it God's special hiding place. The huge surprise of the Christian revelation is that the place of the wound is the place of greatest gift. Our code phrase for this whole process is called the cross and resurrection, revealing that our very wounds can become sacred wounds if we let them. No surprise that an unjustly wounded man became the central transformative symbol of Christianity. Speaking of Jesus, right? Once the killing of God becomes the very redemption of the world, the pathway was revealed. Forevermore, the very worst things have the power to become the very best things. Henceforth, nothing can be permanently dead or a, per, a permanent dead end. Everything is capable of new shape and meaning. There is no advantage to playing the victim and we are forever warned against victimizing others. Henceforth, we are indeed saved by gazing upon the wounded one and loving there our own woundedness and everybody else's wounds as well. One's world is henceforth grounded in mutual vulnerability instead of any need to have power over one another. Isn't that beautiful? I sometimes believe that. But it is so true. Jesus made it really clear that the path to new life is always through a grave. And he's the one that knows the way through every wilderness and so he leads us through this. Here's... Something else I want to read, from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, this is the word of the prophet Isaiah speaking about Jesus and what his death would do. But specifically, I think in this passage, he's describing why Jesus died and what he offers, okay? So he's still offering this, but this is why he got up on a cross 2,000 years ago. It's not just for our spiritual debt. You'll see that there are four unique things that Jesus died for, and it's really clear here in Isaiah chapter 53. So keep the Richard Rohr quote in mind as we add Isaiah 53 to this idea of moving through our wounds. Verse, verse one, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. Other translations say a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Verse four, he took up our pain. This is the word for physical anguish or infirmities. And he bore our suffering. Again, there's the word for sorrow. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I mean, that's a phrase to remember. By his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All right, let's start with this. Jesus has very, very broad shoulders to carry the burdens of all of us. And not just a few of our burdens, but to carry all of our burdens. And there are actually four very specific things here that we see that Jesus carried or reasons why he climbed up on a cross and had to die. And there are four very specific areas that he is able to transform in our life because Jesus just didn't die and was buried in a grave, but he broke out of that grave, right? Three days later, blood started pumping through his body and he breathed and he sat up and he took off the burial clothes and he stood up and he moved the stone away and he walked out. And every one of these things was in the grave and every one of these things now has new possibility because he left the grave. Let me mention the four that we see in the passage. The first one is transgressions. And for most modern Western American Christians, this is what we think Jesus died for only, okay? And I'll get to this in a moment. But our transgressions are the things that we do that are wrong. They're the things that we do that are wrong against, uh, towards God and towards other people. It's choosing to do things our own way. It's our own bad choices. Every person in an honest moment says, yeah, I make tons of mistakes. We all transgress, all right? This is often what people are describing when they talk about sin. Sin has many different layers in the Bible, but we've unfortunately just dumbed it down to making bad choices. But sin's much worse than that. But he died for those choices, okay, transgressions. The next one is iniquities. You saw it there in the passage. Iniquities describes our corrupted nature. This is the part of us that leads to pride or that holds our pride. This is the part of us that holds bitterness and anger and hate towards other people. So it's not just that we're making bad choices, but there's some root inside that is not pure. Now, this doesn't mean that there's something, um, let's, let me say it this way. There is something wrong with us, but it doesn't mean that there's something in us fully corrupted. But there is darkness inside of every person. And when Jesus got up on the cross, he was thinking of that for each one of us, our iniquities. That's why the Bible often talks about giving us a new heart and new life. And the spirit gives us new desires and new actions. And so we become peaceful and joyful and kind. And all of these things, all of those lists the New Testament authors gave us later on, this is what the new life looks like. This is the new, new life that's coming out of a new heart, okay? But that old heart needed to be crucified, and it needs new life. And then there's the, the, it, the word didn't show up in our translation, but the word infirmities, which is just our physical bodies that are broken. You become really aware of this when you watch someone get really, really sick or they stay sick for a really long time or you yourself are having to deal with chronic pain. You're well aware that your body is not working the way that it should. Or later on in life, as we watch people die, we're aware that this is not an experience that we're meant to have. Jesus died so that he could, what does the Bible tell us in, in, in 2 Corinthians? So that he could resurrect all of our bodies someday, right? So there is healing for our bodies as well. So there's healing from the transgressions, there's healing and transformation for our broken, wounded hearts, dark hearts, and there's healing for all the things that are plaguing our physical bodies. But here's what often gets left out of Western Christianity because we don't think it's mature to talk this way. Unfortunately, we think part of maturity is moving past our sorrows when actually maturity is moving through your sorrows to new life, okay? It said that he's a man of sorrows, but what does it also say? It says that he carried our grief and our sorrows. 
Now this changes the way you think about the crucifixion of Jesus. It was not just payment for sin. In that moment, in some cosmic way, Jesus carried the sorrows of all people for all time. He felt all of it. God did not spare him of those things. He did not comfort him and say that it's okay. Jesus felt the full weight of all of the darkness. Not just so that he could come back to us someday and say, I know what it's like, which he can. He is a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering, right? That gives us some comfort. But he did all of that so that there might be a path through, and that's what Richard Rohr is talking about. The wound becomes a possibility for God to do something amazing and for God to do something great. Our modern world likes to just talk about how we're always doing fine. We worship comfort. It's hard for us to see that often what God wants to do in our life is he wants to take us backwards so that he can take us higher or further. That's how the spiritual life works. And I am so grateful as I just spend time working with people who have different problems to see that on the cross, Jesus dealt with all of it. Our offenses, our dark hearts, our broken bodies, and our griefs and sorrows. It's amazing. Jesus has very, very broad shoulders. Hmm. Now, there are a lot of people today that are beginning their relationship with Jesus, not out of a need because they understand that they have transgressions or uh, iniquity in their heart, but they're coming to Jesus because they actually see Jesus and the things he offers like prayer in the scriptures as a way to care for themselves, health and healing, and that is all okay. Because he didn't just die to forgive you. He died to restore you. And he is restoring us. And he is renewing us. And the project, or that project for him uh, doesn't end at this side of life, but he is committed to bringing about renewal and restoration in our lives. And so if you're someone that's right now, you're just trying to get healthy, but you don't quite understand all the other stuff, that's okay. We often, uh, it's not so much that we make too big of a deal about forgiveness, it's that we make the other things too small. But I will say this, there's another mistake people make. And there are those that love the benefits of Jesus, but they will not look inside their own heart and say, I need him because of my own choices. So we can make the mistake of not valuing forgiveness enough. We are all in need, not just of a healer, but also a savior, a forgiver, someone to transform us. Tim Keller has an illustration. I often tell her, I just think it's one of the best ones for the way we think today in our world. You know, we are so relative. We've been taught our whole life that we, you know, there's not a standard by which we should measure our behaviors or anyone else's, right? My truth, your truth, all that stuff. It's just, it creates a giant mess. There's no standard. But here's, a, here's a, something he asks his church, and I'll ask you. What would happen if you were to wear, let's call it a magic tape recorder around your neck for a day, okay? Because we still use tape recorders. We don't use phones anymore, all right? So we have the thing. We have a magic tape recorder around our neck. And the reason it's magic is every time you begin to say things like of other people, they should know better. They shouldn't do that. How could they do that? Why would they do that? Anytime you begin to say something that's around judgment towards someone else, it records it. But it's, it's, it's really magic because it captures all of your thoughts. So even the things that you don't say, because you've been taught to be nice, right? 
We're all supposed to be so nice. It records what's in your mind. Okay, if you just went one day and then at the end of the day, you sat down with Jesus and he played that tape recorder for you and said, here's your standard for living. And he played that tape recorder. There's not a person alive that could live up to their own standard. We need forgiveness. We need the transformation of our heart that's causing all of that dysfunction. We need all of these things. And so I, you know, I wanted to say that because to say, you know, he didn't just die to forgive us. Many people can hear that that doesn't matter. That absolutely matters. It's so important. But Jesus died for all four of these things. That's what I want you to see. All right. Now saying that, I want to focus in on the idea of trauma and wounds today because of just the f- place we find ourselves in. And I want, to, I want to help, if I can, to make sure that we're doing okay and continue to resource you as you care for other people. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a lot of stuff that as a staff, we've been trained in. So Aaron Wardle, our worship pastor that was just up here, he, uh, his, his dad has an amazing ministry. It's called Healing Care International. And he, they do a training called caregiver training. And most of our staff has gone through this training. And uh, a lot of the stuff that we learned in this training, we, we offer to different people here at Cornerstone in different small groups. And we just try to infuse it into our church. And so a lot of what I'm gonna share comes right out of their manual. I am not this smart. I actually have to learn all of these things from other people and write it down so I can remember it. But I just want you to know that a lot of this is coming from them. But I want you to understand the different types of wounding, what wounding does if it's not transformed, so that our hearts might be more open to allowing Jesus to do some work in our lives. So uh, today, trauma is more often used, uh, it's more common language than wounding or emotional wounds, and there are different types of trauma. Let me define trauma this way. It is a stressful event outside the range of normal human experience, okay? That's helpful because a lot of times we think trauma is just something very acute, Um, but it's a stressful event outside the range of normal experience. Another definition is anything that disrupts the normal development process. Just getting to how important trauma is in, um, or how shaping it is in young people's lives. Another definition is trauma is not what happened to us, but what remains unprocessed within because of the absence of an empathetic witness. And so this definition is saying we need someone that actually helps us heal through the process. Even more of a reason why we bring our trauma and our wounds to Jesus and to other trusted people. Here are different types of trauma, okay? There are many, and the list, by the way, keeps growing. Every time I look at the new list of traumas, it's growing. And I don't know if it's just because we're trying to get more precise or people are experiencing harm in different ways, but I wanna mention a few of them. The first two are very common, you're well aware of them. First one, trauma, tra- trauma A wounds. These are the wounds that people experience because something happened to them that shouldn't have happened. And so if you've been abused, this is an example of trauma A wounds. You receive something that you are not meant to receive, okay? And these, um, this can be harsh words towards other people, physical, sexual abuse. This is a wound because something has been given to you that you did not ask for or need. Trauma B it's just the opposite. These, this is the wounding that you get because you didn't receive something that you needed. So if abuse is an example of the first one, neglect is an example of the second one. Or let's say you didn't uh, grow up with both mom and dad at home, which you need. Or you didn't grow up in a safe place or with enough food. Okay, these would be trauma B type wounds. Trauma C type wounds, spend a little more time on this one. Uh, this is event trauma. So 
here are the examples they give of event trauma. Car accidents, mass shootings, losing your house to a fire, watching someone die. Other examples may be less severe, but just could be just as harmful to someone, being cut from a team, being fired. These are events that traumatize a person. Now, do you think any of this could be going on in our community, event trauma? I was at Monarch High School on Friday. Uh, Carrie and I were meeting with the principal there. The day before, the school was evacuated because some weird smell was coming out of the, the ventilation system. So you'd think, well, the kids are all excited. They just, they have to leave school and they get the day off. But the principal said, actually, it was really triggering for a lot of kids because these were some of the same kids that were just evacuated from their homes. So just the thought that it's unsafe to be here, you have to go quickly, that's trauma, right? Event trauma that many of these kids are still dealing with. Survivor's guilt could be placed in here. There are a lot of people who haven't lost their home. They feel very, very guilty for their neighbors or friends that have. It's a type of event trauma, okay? Shows up lots of different ways. I was spending time with uh, my, my men's group uh, a couple weeks ago. We were getting together around a fire and, and one, of our, uh, one of our buddies, he works for the city of Superior and he's been really, really busy just pro providing care after the fire. And um, he didn't lose his home. And so right away when he starts talking about just how it's been difficult for him, he, he does what all of us do. He said, you know, we didn't lose anything. So I feel bad even saying this, right? So rather than just accepting, but he was, he, he was brave and he, he shared. And he said, you know, um, it was during Christmas break and his three, he has four daughters. His three oldest daughters are all college age and they were all, they've all been away. Well, what happens at Christmas break if you have college kids? They come home, right? So it was the first time in months that he had all of his kids there. But the whole last week and a half of Christmas break, he was working 14, 15 hours a day while his family was home. And of course, he's willing to serve and do his job, but the whole time he was missing out being with his daughters. So he has a little nick and he has a little wound. And he said, you know, I'm trying to do a good job, not moving too quickly through it, but to grieve through that loss. Okay, so event trauma. Type D wounds are betrayal traumas. This is abuse of power, uh, you know, perhaps a teacher over a student or pastor over a congregation. Um, someone just breaks trust and, you know, we're wounded from it. And th often this happens with leaders. And so one person's mistake harms hundreds, sometimes thousands. And this is a serious type of trauma. Type B, e, sustained duress. All right, so sp let's spend a little time on this. Sustained duress is defined as constant threat of harm or aggression or constant fear of certain things. So how about constant fear for two years of getting sick? Or how about constant fear for two years of someone yelling at you? Because you're not afraid like they're afraid. My boys would get yelled at riding their bike outside. Now, because they're a Carlucci, they, they actually got some life from it. They're like, let's see who yells at us today. <laughs> but you know, don't you think that affects them? It's not safe to be out here emotionally. I could get yelled at. I have to be ready right now to protect myself. Long-term duress. 
Examples of this could be also could be being called a nickname for a really long period of time that you don't like. It's really harmful. Religious abuse. There are a lot of people that grow up in churches or different faiths where they are manipulated and controlled for a really long time. You're told it's normal, it feels normal, and then someday someone tells you it's not normal and you get out and you say, oh my gosh, that was hell. That's long-term duress. Even individuals who seem to maintain a high level of mental health and regular stress circumstances can have a difficult time when they are under duress for extended periods of times and experience high levels of anxiety, fear, sadness, and loneliness. So we've called it compound stress. It's been diagnosed as prolonged duress and stress disorders, all of these things. This is a wound. Do you think any of that's going around? How about people that are like trying to make decisions and you show up at a meeting and you know it's just going to be this awkward, weird confrontation about how we take care of people right now. I mean, there was a time during COVID I didn't want to have another meeting about anything because every one of them had the potential to be hostile. I was hostile. I wanted to protect everyone from myself. I'm like, I'm staying home today. It's very, very real. There are more... uh, types of trauma, more woundings that I could describe, but I wanted to mention those two. Long-term duress and event trauma is now a part of our life. We need to know how to help people. Here's some of the impacts of wounding and trauma. First are disorders. Disorders, uh, this is the event that has led to a dehabilitation that significantly hampers a person's ability to function. And so some of the considerations for this are things like depression, anxiety, PTSD, Uh, different personality disorders. So wounds can lead to these disorders. So we're we're aware of those things, right? Read the list again. Depression, anxiety, PTSD, personality disorders. This is what wounding does to people. It has not been healed. There's also distortions. While the event or events has not disabled a person or hindered their ability to function, it has negatively influenced the way a person views and responds to aspects of life. More often, these effects have to do with what we think and how we interact with important things like love, relationships, and the way we think of our own personal value. So let's make an, take an example. Let's say you experienced abuse as a kid or long-term duress of hearing someone say something negative about who you are. Do you think you could grow up with the distortion of thinking that you're worthless or unlovable? Or if you've been betrayed by someone, do you think that you could take on the distortion of thinking no one can be trusted? I mean, what a terrible way to go through life, right? How will you ever experience intimacy if you can't trust people again? But these are real things that happen to us. Here's a few other things that can be distorted. Um, Our beliefs can be distorted. So I just mentioned one of them, belief about yourself. A lot of times we've been wounded. It distorts our belief in God. If our parents didn't love us, how could God love us? Okay, Our emotions get out of control. Behaviors become dysfunctional, all of this stuff. But at the bottom of all of these things, it's like the iceberg effect. There is something that's causing all of this. And I just wanna show you a diagram that comes from the training that we do and that our staff experience. There at the bottom are the deep wounds, right? And if you look at the column to your left, out of the deep wound are the lies, emotional upheaval, dysfunctional behavior, all of those things. It's hard to explain the whole thing right now. But more often than not, the transgressions that we make, the corruption in our heart, 
even the effects on our body have to do with these deep emotional wounds. And most people spend all of their time trying to change their behavior without going beneath the surface to deal with the cause, the root. Now this works in the good way. You know, how about this, this verse from the New Testament? The fruits of the spirit. So the spirit is the new root, the new heart. The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How about what is the fruit of the wounded heart? Bitterness, anger, hate, addiction. Hopefully I've made the point that there is a cost to not healing from these emotional wounds. I just, if you're not convinced, I'd ask you to ask a marriage counselor. Ask them how much childhood wounds affect people's relationship and leads to divorce. Just ask them. I caught up with an old friend this weekend. He's working with prisoners who are leaving the prison system. He shared something amazing with me yesterday. He said this, like, listen, this is the cost of not healing. So it costs $35,000 a year in, the, in, in Colorado to incarcerate, incarcerate someone for, for a full year, okay? Our recidivism rate is 50% in our state. So you get out, 50% go back. There are programs, and this is what his work is, and this is why you're sharing it with me. If people get involved in program, the, the programs that they're doing to just kind of help reintegrate people into life, to, to heal from their wounds, to learn some healthy ways of living, they only need to be involved for three months. The recidivism rate goes down from 50% to 15%. Guess how much it costs to help someone heal or restore them after prison? It costs 35,000 to incarcerate them for a year. It costs $3,500. I mean, the cost of not healing is actually can be measured in money as well. Go home and look this up. There's something called the ACE study that Kaiser Permanente did. The ACE study, it's an acronym, or it's not an acronym, but it stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. This is what Kaiser Permanente found out. If kids grow up with certain amounts of trauma, so you know, we could just, I don't want to pile it on too much, but you know, trauma here, trauma here, trauma here, trauma here. And those traumas aren't dealt with. They're not allowed to process it with someone loving and caring, and they're not able to move through the healing process. At a certain amount of trauma, it shows up physically in their adulthood, in their, in their own body. It affects their physical bodies later on in life. People live long, or they don't live as long. They live shorter. They experience more disease. You can look it up. The data is all right there. Okay, all of this is true unless, this is what's hopeful, unless they've gone through healing. So isn't it amazing that Jesus makes a promise and he says, in the most important moment in human history, the day he died on the cross, he was thinking of all of our sorrows and griefs. And isn't it amazing when he stood up in the grave that day, he was thinking of bringing restoration and renewal, not just to our souls, not just to our bodies, but to our emotions, our hearts, to transform that sorrow and grief. Isn't that amazing? That's incredibly good news. There was a time a pastor could never stand up in a church like this and talk to his people about wounding because it's so depressing. But we are so under it right now, it becomes incredibly good news when someone shows us a different way. And I'll tell you the someone, it's Jesus. And it's right here in the scriptures. Here are a few ways to discern perhaps if you're going through um, some wounding or there's some, the, some wounds in your life that need some attention, okay? 
This comes right out of our caregiver training. There's, you've experienced some personality change in a way that seems abnormal for you. Usually, the people in your life tell you about this, right? You're acting weird. You keep acting weird, right? This is helpful. Number two, there's increased agitation or displays of anger, anxiety, and moodiness. Number three, there's a withdrawal or isolation from other people. These are signs of trauma. Poor self-care, perhaps engaging in risky, even harmful behavior. This is a sign. And lastly, there's a sense of hopelessness or feeling of being overwhelmed and worthless. So life is, your future is hopeless or you're hopeless because you yourself feel like there's no redemption that's possible for you. You're lost. These are helpful things that wise people pay attention to and they bring to the Lord. Now here are a few suggestions as I close about just things that you can do to engage in the process. And by the way, for some reason, God has turned this church into a church of healing. And it, it's, it's because of Gene and Andrea. It's because of people like Aaron and Destry. I mean, there's and there a number of you, our counselors, Mary Howard, Joyce, we, we've just got great, great people that understand how important this is. But this is like, we do more of this work than friends in other churches do. I mean, they're doing other neat things, but for some reason, God has turned this into a healing church. And here are the things that we found that are helpful if you're just taking some of the first steps, okay? And of course, there are, um, there are other things to do and continue to pursue in the years. But first of all, we want you to know that healing takes time. If you have the expectation that things are going to be fixed very quickly, you will be disappointed and you will give up and you will think God is not a resource. You will think he's not a very present help in times of trouble. Usually... Wounding happens much quicker than healing does. It can be a moment that wounds us, but it can take years to experience healing. But the alternative of not doing that hard work and walking that long road, um, that's not something that we want to experience. Here's an illustration just from the physical world. So, you know, a few years ago, we watched in the news, Notre Dame in Paris burned down, right? Or not the whole thing burned down, but the roof collapsed. You know how long it's gonna take to put it back together? 15 to 20 years. One day to destroy it, it's gonna take 15 to 20 years. But here's what's so neat about it. The foundation and the structure of the walls are still there. It's still Notre Dame. Or as I like to say, because I like football, Notre Dame, right? It's still there. So it's going to take some time. Number two, there needs to be a commitment that's set in faith. You need to know that Jesus is walking that long road with you, okay? There will be times that you feel like it's too slow. It's not happening fast enough. You will regress. You will do the same weird things you've done before. You will take steps backwards. It will get weird again. Told you this so many times. Elise and I were getting, bear, uh, getting be better in our, with our marriage struggles early on. We'd been in counseling for two years, but then it got worse for about six months. And that was worse than the worst was before because I thought, oh no, it's all lost. That's not the case. God was still leading the process. So it takes a commitment that's said in faith. God is a very present help. He is present. He will walk you through it, okay? Number three, you're going to need other people on this road. Because it feels lonely, you need other people to remind you that you're not alone. It feels lonely, but you're not alone. God is with you, and you need some trusted, empathetic, 
sometimes caregivers, often counselors, always friends, family that knows what's happening. They can encourage you and they can walk you through these things. Now, the encouragement sometimes shows, looks like showing up to your AA meeting. Sometimes it, it looks like being vulnerable with your small group. Sometimes it looks like confessing an addiction to one trusted friend that can be the start of things. That's how it looks. But you need people in your life that will walk with you. And here's what is important about other people being with you. We are the manifest presence of Jesus. So not only is that person there to help you, Jesus is helping you through them. If you want Jesus to help you, you need to let him use his people to help you. And likewise, God uses us this way with other people, right? Because we're a very present help in times of trouble. And so number one, understand that it takes time. Number two, there's a commitment set in faith. The Lord will lead us. He will stay with us. He will take us somewhere. We don't know how long the grave is. will take or how long we'll be in there, but we'll eventually leave. And then number three, we need others in our life that God can use and that, um, that we can rely on to help us, all right? Uh, other things that we have here, counseling is, is offered. Uh, we are working right now on figuring out a way to expand our capacity to provide mental health care and counseling as a church. There are other churches involved in this. We're thinking of ways that we can serve our community in greater ways in the future. Um, but we wanna help you with that. We have a pretty well-trained pastoral staff that's able to help you to a certain degree. There are some things we say, hey, we are not equipped for this. We will tell you that, but we will help make you a connection to someone that, that can, but often we can help you with certain things. We have programs like Healing Care and just different leaders here that are equipped with some of the stuff I shared today. Please reach out. Please reach out. You will not be judged for being weak. In fact, at this church, we say, oh, they're brave. Look at the brave faith. And you will, you will be encouraged along the way, and so we wanna be here to help you. All right, I wanna close, worship team come out, and I wanna just give us a moment to, to hear from the Lord, and I wanna reflect a little bit on some of the other scriptures that have to do with healing in the Bible. So I'd invite you to just go to the quiet place of prayer and bow your heads. And we're gonna do a version of Lectio Divina today as we, as we end my time. Lectio Divina, we often read a, a passage, and I ask you to think about certain things. I wanna read four or five short verses today to you. And as I read them, I want you to ask God for a response. So we're just asking him for a response today. Lord, what is my next step? What is it that needs healed? What is, is it that needs shared? What group do I need to be a part of? Who do I need to re-engage? What secret do I need to just share with you, Lord? Of course, he knows it, but you've been hiding it from him. So I'm gonna read through this list two different times, and I just want you to simply listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, share with you what your response should be to God's invitation for healing. This is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, and I will heal you. 2 Kings chapter 20. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. It's Jeremiah 30. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah 140, or Psalm 147. Lord my God, I called to you for help 
and you healed me. Psalm chapter 30. And the passage we read, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53. Now let God direct your steps. Speak to you about how you can follow him how he can help you. This is what the Lord, the God of our father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears and I will heal you. I will restore your health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Lord, my God, I call to you for help and you healed me. And by his wounds, we are healed. Father God, thank you for this time, just a moment to think about the amazing power of the gospel to restore all that has been lost and broken in all of us. I pray for whatever was shared with my friends or what might be shared in the week to come. I I, I seal that and I, I just bless it in Jesus' name and I pray that you would protect it And I pray for my friends here that they might have the brave faith, the commitment to walk that line with you, that they might take that next step that you're leading them to take and move towards healing. Father, we understand that we have vulnerabilities and weakness inside of us, and and often it can be so hard to admit those things, but let us start with you. We are open to you, wanna be led by you. Father, do what you can do. Do what only you can do. Be the healer that we need. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And let's stand together.